One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everybody. It's Helen here from the Squiggly Quiz podcast, and this is another in our special series of podcasts that we've done for International Women's Day in 2020. The topic we're going to be covering in this episode is all about female entrepreneurship, and I'm really excited to share with you the people on this episode. First up, I'm going to be speaking to Sarah King and Claire Dunn, who are the founders of an organisation called We Are Radical, and they're really supporting women who want to be female entrepreneurs. And I talked to them about some of the challenges that people face in doing that, and also the support that they need and how we help them to get started and to scale their businesses. After I've spoken to Sarah and Claire, I then talked to Natalie Campbell. And Natalie is an amazing social entrepreneur that I've known for quite a few years now. I met at Virgin, which is a good place to meet entrepreneurs. And she, I always am just inspired by her insightfulness and her confidence and she's just a very very clear about who she is and what she does and I think that really helps her to make an impact as an entrepreneur so I hope that we can all learn a little bit from her when we speak to her on the episode too so let's get started Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Squiggly Quiz podcast. I'm Helen Tuffer. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Squiggly Quiz podcast. But today, I'm not joined by Sarah. Instead, I'm joined by two other people. Oh, actually, I am joined by Sarah. You are. <gasps> Amazing. I've replaced my business partner with my old manager, everybody. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Sarah King and Claire Dunn. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. I feel like I should probably go back to the old manager bit. So Sarah managed me... How many years ago? Ooh, do we need to go there? Okay, a, few years, a few years and ago and was a really, really, really good manager. One that we call a growth mindset manager. So it embraces mm-hmm. people's learning and potential. So I'm glad that our squiggly careers have brought us back together if we ever weren't together at any I know. Point. It's really exciting, actually, to kind of see where our careers have gone. And now we're both on this entrepreneurial path. So it's amazing to be here recording with you. And that is a very good segue. I mean, you're a professional, obviously. There's a segue into today's topic, which is all about women and entrepreneurship. And Sarah and Claire both run an organisation called We Are Radical. So can you tell us a little bit about what that organisation does and how you came to form it and maybe why together you came to form that? Yeah, absolutely. So we've both set up three businesses individually. We kind of met on LinkedIn about 18 months ago. That's brilliant. You met on LinkedIn? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who got in touch with who? I think Sarah reached out to me. We live half a mile apart. We'd kind of worked in the same circles in Nottingham, had never come across each other 
turned up for a coffee and an hour later we kind of put the worlds to rights. I mean, that's, a, da- that's a dangerous it, LinkedIn it, connection, isn't it? It, it, was. it is. I think by the end of that hour we were like, I think we might need to start a business together. Yeah. <laughs> Two months later we had. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's been quite the journey and we, we kind of have this mutual frustration perhaps with the way that female entrepreneurs are supported in the UK so over a cup of coffee which would then grew into a glass of wine which then grew into a shoffice a bottle of wine wine we kind of have redesigned what we think female entrepreneurship um, can look like for more female founders so that they are better supported as they go on that path and so in terms of that better support why do female founders I mean do they do they need more support than male founders what are some of the barriers that they face so we see a few trends that come through when we look at the barriers that women face the first we like to call perfectionitis Mm -hmm. so in the same sense that women tend to look at a job description and they'll go oh I can get 88% of that but I'm 12% missing so I won't go for it whereas guys look at it and go nailed it 40% basically I'm a shoe in (laughs) women tend tend to approach setting up their own businesses in the same way. So they tend to take a long time to prepare. They want their ideas to be really fully formed. They want to know the answers to everything before they put it out and share it with the world. And so it just creates a lag in terms of, I've got an idea, but this is the point that I'm going to share it. This is the point that I'm going to kind of expose myself and and tell other people about it. And so that's one of the areas we think that's one that we can really help by sharing each other's stories. We can help to overcome that. Second one is we see more and more women designing multi-hyphened lives. Okay. Oh, lovely Emma Gannon. Yeah. We love Emma. Which means that they're just juggling lots of balls. They've got lots of things going on in their lives. And so the services and the support and the products that they need need to be designed flexibly. It needs to be products and services that meet their needs at the time that they need it rather in time and space that is dictated by somebody else. Mm -hmm. So we think that that's one of the things that gets in their way. And the third piece is confidence, and that's come from a piece of research by a digital bank, which is six out of ten women cite confidence as the most impactful barrier to starting and growing their businesses. So lots of things, I think, that kind of come together that get in our way, but all of them, there are easy ways to overcome them. It just requires more design thinking. Mm. And so... For you, so those three issues, the perfectionitis, which sounds like it should come with some really bad visual. I feel like we've yeah, done a rash of some <laughs> yes, sort. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an attractive uh, visual. Um, and that kind of multi-hyphen thing and the confidence. Did you face those? It sounds like you had that coffee and you were all, all, all good to go. Did you face those in setting up We Are Remarkable or because you did it together, did it help you overcome them? So Claire and I together have 14 years entrepreneurial experience. So this isn't our first business. And one of the things that we were able to do really early on was to reflect on our 14 years experience and just say, you know what, what have we learned from everything that went really well? But what have we also learned from the times that were really difficult and the things that we found hard to do? We then also, we hadn't co-founded a business before, so we spent time with people who had co-founded businesses, people who had done that successfully and not successfully and said, What should we have in mind? How can we design this well so that we're working together? I know you and Sarah have known each other for years. We we kind of haven't got that. So we were very deliberate in the way that we designed our startup. So I think all of that testing and learning we were able to do through our previous businesses meant that 
we were actually able to hit the ground running. And one of the things we talk about a lot is how can we help female founders to shortcut the learning? Mm. And what I've just described there in terms of talking to other people, learning from their stories, learning from their experience, that's all part of shortcutting the learning. I think for us, partly it was that experience we had under our belt. We're also, I guess, again, the same as, as you and Sarah, we're very driven. Mm-hmm. We're very ambitious. We love what we do. Mm. Um, and we're hugely motivated, I guess, by the fact that we look at the system and go, you know what, this system isn't working for a huge proportion of the population. Mm. <laughs> so let's not sit about and just complain about it. Let's figure out what we can do differently to support women as they're considering entrepreneurship, as they make the leap, and then as they're growing and scaling their businesses. Mm. And I find it really interesting what you talked about, the the amount of experience you've had as entrepreneurs and the extent to which you started businesses. And I'm going to say the word fail, but I don't kind of mean it because Mm. the insight from a business that hasn't gone where you wanted it to go then informed the next one and then you kind of have this cycle how important do you think that I started I've reassessed it's not quite right right now I'm going to start something else that kind of like almost like an iterative process rather than this thing I'm going to start is going to be my everything forever and I'm going to pile it with pressure yeah really important and actually when we've reflected on the businesses that we've started and some we've folded others are still going so I first started my first business lots of you know one of my biggest learnings from that business was being really clear on what you're bringing to the business and what your roles are so being really clear on I'm great at this and so let me bring this into the business and you're great at this so you bring this to the business which then helped when we were establishing we are radical Mm. as a yeah, this is where I can I can bring some wealth and depth of expertise and, and I don't operate so well over here, so, and you do, so let's, let's bring you in here. So I think you can bring all of that learning in and it just helps bolster the new idea mm. and you, you get to answers more quickly. Mm. Just come back to the co-founders piece again, because I find oh, Sarah and I often get a question like, how did you find each other? Yes. Mm. And we're like, oh, we were just sort of friends. And then we liked similar things and we talked to each other and we started a side project and it grew from there. And people are like, oh, I can't really replicate that. Yeah. Like, that's a that's a tricky thing to kind of replicate. But you found each other. You did find each other mm-hmm. on, on LinkedIn through a shared passion. Yeah. And so are there any tips for people finding a co-founder? Like, did you kind of go, oh, we, we've got the same thing or, or we've got different strengths and skills and together that makes something that's sort of greater than the sum of the parts? I think it really started from shared passion and experience. So we didn't we didn't arrange to have a coffee because we were thinking, hey, I'd like to find a co-founder. Yeah. We just talked about the experience that we'd had, pivoting out of our corporate careers, then the support that was available and as Claire described, support that was available in a very flexible, accessible way versus you need to sell your soul to this accelerator or incubator. Yes. And so it was through that shared experience. And I guess because we were so passionate about that experience and the fact that during all of our years of entrepreneurship, other women would approach us and say, how did you have the idea? How do you set up? Do you register for that? What does that look like? What the hell is GDPR? (laughs) We kind of went... There's all these women, you know, 75% of women in the UK start their businesses from home. So you've got lots of women across the UK at their kitchen tables trying to figure out this stuff alone. Mm. And we just very clearly and passionately 
recognise that as a problem because we'd experienced it ourselves. And before we knew it, we were kind of into problem-solving mindset around, Mm. wouldn't it be great if? What if it looked like this? Mm. What if it looked like that? And it was almost as though once we'd opened the lid on that conversation, we couldn't ignore it. It, We just kept coming back to it. It's kind of shared passion, shared experience. And then importantly, and I know you, you talk about this a lot in the book, but although we bring different skill set to our business, we've just got very clear shared values. Mm. Our work ethos is similar, which I think is really important. Mm, I agree. Kind of this sense of there's inequality that we want to address. Mm. The playing field should be more even. And yes, there are lots of reasons for that, but quite simply, it's unfair that it's not. Mm -hmm. So let's work Mm -hmm. to solve that. So we've got these shared values that just fuel us the whole Mm. time. So it sounds like, I mean, I don't think you'd have a co-founder checklist, but if you did, and I do like a checklist. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, so let's let's get this checklist together. So uh, do we have shared passions? Yes. yes. No. Do we have a desire to make a difference and change the status quo? Yes. yes. No. Do we have shared values, mm-hmm. believe in the same things, and have we got a similar work ethic? Yeah. Mm. And if you've yeah. got those things, you've potentially got the ingredients yes. for something Something good to happen yeah. between yeah. you. I think and the um, sense of humour. Oh, okay. That's exactly Got what you. I was just going to say. I mean, Sarah, yeah. I don't have that. So no. I'm just going to blatantly like, yeah. flawed as founders. We, um, we spend a lot of time laughing and a lot of time just, you know, because entrepreneurship isn't an easy career path. And we find ourselves laughing to the point of tears sometimes Mm. where it's just it's partly pressure relief yeah but it's also just if you're not enjoying it then you know part of choosing entrepreneurship is as a career is often and certainly for us about saying you know what it's not quite working for us in the corporate system yeah so let's design a work life that does work for us and whoever said that work should be miserable? Yeah, it's right. Like, yeah. I had this um, amazing moment with Sarah about three or four weeks ago. So we're obviously three or four weeks ago in the height of the book just coming out, right. like events all over the place. I think Sarah had been in like Manchester and Leeds and she'd been all over and I'd been doing a lot in London and I was a bit tired and I think something quite, had can't quite remember, but I think I was a bit tired. I think it might have been a Friday and something could maybe gone wrong that day. It was all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was walking through King's Cross Station and I think I had my head down because I was thinking about something and thinking about I don't know whatever was going on and Sarah I passed her at King's Cross Station it was the weirdest thing and then we just and Sarah's not a hugger so like at all but we stopped at King's Cross Station she's like hey and she gave me a hug and then she pretty much just went on her way and I went on my way but I was like oh that is like to know that you've got in your co-founder and obviously there are lots of businesses that you can you know start and scale successfully on Mm. your own as well but I can only talk about having done it once with somebody else. Yes. Yeah. But to have somebody else in the brilliant times where you can laugh and be like, amazing, we did it. I can't yeah. believe we did it. Yeah. And in the times where you're like, crikey, this is tough. Yeah. And to see that person at King's Cross or in your office or on WhatsApp, right. wherever you are, yeah. and have that person be like, I get it, yes. just rant, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. We'll move on together. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's... Yeah. It's invaluable. Mm. It really is. And we found in the community space that we've created is exactly that. So you can, if you are a solopreneur, I hate that word, but if what you are... What call it instead? Just a female founder. Okay, brilliant. If you are a From female now on. founder yeah. <laughs> and you don't have that, you don't have that person who 
just gets it. He just understands what a crappy day looks like or what a great day looks like. And you're still sat there at your kitchen table, cheersing your cat with a cup of tea. Um, It's like, where do you go? Where do you go to kind of celebrate the success or you've just signed a contract or you've just had a great testimonial or yeah you need somebody to help pick you up it's kind of you, you've got to have a space to go to mm. on the Although air we think more women should consider co-founding okay mm. okay okay that's a very mm. definitive point yeah. Um, yeah 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 on other definitive points can you have a we are radical lexicon for entrepreneurial terms so it sounds like we should get rid of solopreneur yeah can we also put in i feel like this is like a room 101 type thing yeah, for it. Girl boss. Yes. Oh, Not yeah. Not Okay. 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 Brilliant. You've you've hit a hot topic there, Helen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> o- o- open Pandora's box for this hot topic. <laughs> Shall we go there? Yeah. So, a <clears throat> a very well known high street brand. Yes. They have just released their March April Health and Beauty publication. I was in my local boots. I saw it on the side and saw the headline and thought, oh, incredible! They're doing something on female entrepreneurship. Four or five incredibly talented, skilled, passionate, courageous, resilient women. Uh, Their stories are featured within the magazine. And then on the front cover, the copy reads, learn about the businesses and what makes a great girl boss or something like that. And they use the term girl boss. (laughs) And honestly, Helen, my heart just sank because I just thought, oh, come on, this is all part of the issue around... We're not validating women who are making this leap. Mm. There's this sense of it's kind of patronising. And, you know, on the other hand, we get it. Girl boss, you know, as a hashtag, it's one that's worked. We get that a lot of the narrative around entrepreneurship is very masculine. Mm -hmm. So if I look for stories of entrepreneurs, I'll probably have to look harder to find a story about a female founder I'll have to look harder still to find a story of a female founder who is black or Mm -hmm. of colour. The main narrative isn't inclusive. And we think that girl boss has kind of been adopted as a term where for some women it's kind of right, I need to find a different term, let me use that. But actually I think for big brands they have such an incredible opportunity to just refer to us as entrepreneurs, yeah, mm. as female founders. Female founders. Mm. Female, if you want to mark it out because you're trying to make a, a point around women running businesses, female founders for me sits really, really well. Yeah, girl boss just makes it feel like I'm playing. Exactly, yeah. and that's the issue. And if a really well-known brand like Boots thinks we're just playing at this, mm. then what message does that put out into the world? Yeah. It was really interesting. My, my daughter sometimes comes into the office and she sits with us and she's building her own brand and her own business. And, and she said to us, I think Girl Boss is great. And I was like, yeah, but you're 10 and yeah. I love that you think it's <laughs> yeah. great. But we're not 10. Yeah. You actually are a girl boss. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's really allowed. You. Yeah, yeah, we want this yeah. right yes. now at age 10. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah it's... I think it's just about recognizing women and that what we are doing in creating our businesses we might take a different approach Mm. but that doesn't mean that approach isn't valid yeah Yeah. so that 
go boss. It's With a bit you. more topic. For I us think at you could moment. crowdsource some other terms that just we yeah, need. We to would love that. Do, like, let's do it together. Yeah, let's when, do when, it. When this podcast comes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Do it. Okay. We're, we're on it, everyone. Do like, it. This empowering language love that it. holds women back at work. Properly. On it. Um, so, another thing that I think, in terms of female entrepreneurship and female founders, that I think can hold people back is getting investment to scale businesses. And I've had a few conversations about this and some of the, the insights that I've got to are about sort of, you know, some challenges with women's relationship with money sometimes, mm-hmm. but also like the, the, the biased market towards mm-hmm. funding female founders. Mm-hmm. And so I think I don't kind of want to blame it all on the market because I do think that women's confidence with financial conversations and their worth also plays into it. What's your perspective on women getting investment, what we need to do to accelerate it? Yeah, so let's like peel this right back to yeah. look at the issue. So I've got some numbers for you. Um, so less than 1p in every pound that's invested in the UK goes to a female-founded business. Okay, so less than a penny in every pound. 10 pence goes to mixed-gender founded businesses, 89 pence to male-founded. Okay, so fundamentally, the playing field is uneven. And as I mentioned earlier, for us, that's enough of a motivator to say... Really rubbish piggy bank, isn't it? Oh, right, exactly. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's like we get this tiny little one over here Mm. and look at that great great big piggy bank. And it's like, okay, that's inequality. So why would you not want to solve that just for the sake of solving an inequality issue? But what we find is that a lot of the system needs to find a reason to solve it. And the reason through the Alison Rose report, which was published about a year ago, which the government have have responded to, the kind of driver there is actually if women were found in businesses at the same rate and therefore accessing investment, there's a £250 billion opportunity, revenue opportunity for the UK economy. So it's like, okay, so if we can't solve this just for the sake of solving inequality, let's look at the revenue driver. Mm. Okay, great. So there's a big opportunity there for the UK economy. But what we found recently, we've been talking to a number of the more traditional organisations in that financial ecosystem, and we've tried to talk to them about what some of the issues are. And what we've heard time and time again is, what's wrong with the women? Why aren't the women accessing finance? We've got products and services out there. So where are the women? <laughs> um, and, and we've tried kind of flipping that and saying, actually, we think a bit more self-reflection is needed. You know, the reality is if a system is designed by a group of people and that group of people is homogenous, they will look the same, then intentionally or not, they will design a system that works for them Mm -hmm. and for their needs. We know that in the UK, only about 14% of angel investors are women. Mm -hmm. So women haven't been involved in designing that system. And therefore, the system doesn't work for us. And so we think that in terms of investment, you know, and we're seeing this happening in the UK, we're seeing it happening in other countries as well. But there's just a need to disrupt it all and to say we need more representation. And, you know, women of colour, women generally, women with different disabilities, let's just make representation something that is discussed. So is it that the women aren't having the conversation or they're or they're seeking investment, but they're just not getting the yes because it's a biased system? So one of the things we found through our community and also some research that's been carried out from one of the digital disruptor banks 
is this idea that that confidence is a big issue and confidence impacts the actions and behaviours that you take. If I'm not recognised, I don't recognise myself in that investment mm. ecosystem, then why on earth would I even go there to seek support? Got it. What we're observing is that women are incredibly good at bootstrapping and going, all right, okay, I'm not going to be able to access investment from there. Right, what are my other options? How else am I going to make this mm. business work? Really effective problem-solving skills. But actually what we need to do is kind of make make us more seen within that system. Mm. We found within our community that when you create a safe space for a female founder to show up and say, this is what my business is about. And I'd really like to understand ROI better, return on investment better. And is it okay for me to show up and, and say that I don't know what that means? And to get a response that isn't judgy, that isn't kind of, well, hang on a minute, you're running a business, you really should know this. But actually, once you break through that confidence barrier, the conversations do take place. Mm, but you have to brilliant. create that safe space. Yeah, I can definitely say if you, if you could pitch your business in a way that you didn't feel like you were being interrogated or judged yeah. and that it was a supportive conversation, like and a conversation, not a confrontation, I yeah. think more people would show up. Yeah. And it's interesting. So recently we've seen, you know, we've seen how important language is. So rather than talking about you need to come and pitch your business, it's come and tell us the story of your business. That can go in the glossary. Yes. It's not about pitches, it's right. about stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and suddenly just that subtle shift in language means, oh, well, yeah, I'm really passionate about my business. So, yeah, yeah. Let, let me come and tell you the story. Yeah. Whereas if I have to come and pitch to you, mm. does that mean I'm going to fail or succeed? Mm. What's the story of my business? Uh, right. That's, a, that's very different to can you right. pitch to an investor, isn't it? Like, yeah. Just psychologically. Yeah, yeah. it becomes rather than a binary, you've either got this right or you've got this wrong. And we find there's lots of validation of, did I do that okay? Was that the right thing? Have I got that right? Yeah. It's a, just tell the narrative. Just tell us how you got there and why you care about it and who you talk to and how you serve them. And all of a sudden, I mean, just the stories that we hear are absolutely incredible. We've been talking to somebody recently who... On paper, if she was to pitch her business, it talks about I uh, help businesses grow and build websites. And then when you really dig into what her business is about, she is so passionate about e-waste and recycling and reusing and not contributing to a landfill problem and where things are resourced from and how you recycle and how mindful. I mean, there's a whole story that sits behind I build websites. Yeah. And it's, let's bring that out because that's a really interesting part of your business that really gives it a heart mm. um, and actually differentiates it from everybody else who is mm. building websites out there. So mm. let's talk more about this and then like that. But you, you only get there when you can start to have a conversation. Mm. I was with someone today, they were mentoring me and they were like, Helen, what's the secret source of your business? And I, it's sort of like there's, there's, in the story is some of the yeah. secret source. Mm. You can't replicate the story so much, but some, no, some of the operations you can. Yeah. Yeah. We really love kind of playing with the question of if you allow yourself to imagine what your business could be, what could it be? Because, you know, nine times out of ten, we've had conversations with female founders and, you know, you ask questions, what's your business about? Who are your customers? And you get a response every single time when we then follow up with, OK, so 
if you allow yourself to imagine what this business could be and its impact, what does that look like? And without fail, you suddenly see this like spark and this leaning in and this passion that comes through. But I think that's because we make it okay for that passion to be shown Mm. and to tell the story behind the business model, which again is not, you know, different support programs we've been through. It's kind of, what's the business? What's the problem? And and it's kind of, actually, no, tell me the story behind it. Tell me why you're passionate about it. Why you get excited about it. What change do you want to see in the Mm. world? And it just allows that... Mm. It's easy to fall into, um, someone else said to me recently, I'm getting a lot of mentoring at the moment, uh, someone else told me about um, it's quite easy to fall into like a shopping list kind of trap. So you Mm. sell what your company can do and you're like, so we can do websites and we can do newsletters and we can do some design and you're like, okay, okay, but like to your point around it's it's about eco or changing the world. Um, So it would be really good to get from both of you a piece of advice. I'm trying to think if you've got, if there is a a woman listening to this, I hope there's at least one, it might might be Sarah's (laughs) mum, Um, there's a a woman listening to this and thinking do you know what I really want I really want to start my own business either with somebody else or as a kind of female founder and doing it myself what piece of advice have you got for them to just help them go from that idea that's in their head to an action that they're taking tomorrow the advice that I would give is and we know from lots of the women that we work alongside that they will use redundancy often as a springboard into then taking this side hustle or an idea they've had and then using the money. So they buy themselves some time effectively mm. and they will use that kind of redundancy money as a means to then go and explore what their business might look like. So at the very start, if you can identify, well, how much time have you bought and what does it need to look like? So say you've bought yourself six months. What does it need to look like in six months time? What it helps you do, and we use this phrase quite a lot, is decide, does it make the boat go faster? Mm -hmm. So as and when opportunities come your way and there's, oh, something shiny and new over there, I'll just go off over there and do that. It's like, no, 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 no. Because unless it makes the boat go faster, because you have got a finite amount of time to get your business up and going then it helps guide you. It just helps inform your decision-making. It makes it easier to kind of cut out of the noise and to stay focused. So we would always advise, or I would always advise, at the very start, it's kind of pick a date. What's the date you're heading towards and what does it need to look like? And Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be the end, sparkly, finished, all shiny, singing, dancing thing that you're going to build. But what's the point where you go, this is successful enough that I can now continue with it and then guide and let that then guide your decision making. I love that. I feel like you might have been giving me that wisdom from afar because when I was um, transitioning from Microsoft to Amazing If, we'd use our side projects for like five years to build up a little bit of a cash surplus. Mm. And then we said, well, how much time does that buy me to try and scale this? And Mm. it was, you know, if if it doesn't, then my plan B will go, you know, I'll go back into corporate life. But I was kind of clear of that's how much time I've bought myself. I I like that as kind of... It's not just cash in the bank, it's the time it's bought yeah. to you. Mm, yeah. right. Lovely. Thank you, Claire. Mm. No pressure, Sarah. I know. But that's <laughs> a good one, isn't it? <laughs> um, so I think I'd talk about, you know, really understanding your why and your your motivation. So entrepreneurship is pretty much a kind of incredible roller coaster ride, like real highs, but really tough lows. And getting really clear, being really, really honest with yourself, why do I want to start a business? Why will my customers experience 
be better as a result of the product or service that I'm going to put out into the world? Why do I want to hit certain revenues within my business? Being really clear on that, it acts as fuel in terms of your resilience, but it also really fuels your courage, okay? Mm -hmm. Because entrepreneurship requires you to put new and different things out into the world and you have to really believe in what you're doing to do that because maybe not every single day but definitely a few times every week you need it yeah you've got to be out there Mm -hmm. and and if you're not out there with something which you're not clear on why it's important to you and why it's going to have a positive impact for your customers for us certainly I just don't think you get that same level of courage but also resilience to kind of, you know, we've had tough days in the last 18 months and we always come back to, as Claire talked about earlier, we come back to why are we doing this? We're doing this because there is a population in the UK. We can go into our community. We talk to those women every single day. There's a real need. Mm. And we know the world could look different for women. And we always true back to that. And mm. it's what lifts us again the next morning to yeah. kind of go, all right, that was a bit tough. Let's keep going. Well, it's that and gin. <laughs> and, and gin or red wine. I mean, it's, um, it's been so full on, though, that really it only takes about one glass of wine for us. Yeah, <laughs> and then like, I need to go to sleep. Rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> That's the inspirational entrepreneur's journey. <laughs> So on to more practical sort of inspiration, maybe we could each just go around just to kind of end end this before I tell everybody how to find all the work that you're doing as well and the different resources that you've got that might help people. Maybe each of us can just go around and share one female founder or a pair of co-founders. Oh, I think I'm going to do two. Can I do two? That I think are inspirational to kind of go and admire and have a look at and just see the art of the possible. Um, So I'm going to do two because I'm cheeky. Um, So my first one is Pip Jameson. I think she's amazing. She's the founder of an organisation called The Dots. She is a rarity is a female founder in tech mm. uh, and she's also somebody that has raised equity and capital I think twice in her business and I think that's that's brilliant and Pip's just a positive force for good that everyone should find and then the second one is a big fan of team digital mums so Nikki and Catherine behind digital mums I think that the community that they've built they are so yeah. supportive of, of us as well and I think mm. that's an amazing thing as a founder to, mm. to be supportive of other founders female or not I just think it's yeah. a very positive thing to do yeah. so yeah. that's who I would direct everyone to your two they're great your Sarah mine so we've always been really clear that people who are inspiring to us are the are people who make us do things differently. So I'm going to shout out for two. So the first is Lou Cordwell, who is the founder of a digital design agency called Magnetic North, based up in Manchester. Lou has been one of our advisors for the last 12 months. Um, and she is just incredible in terms of her cheerleading of us. She presents us with opportunities. She challenges us. She holds us to account. So for us, she she truly is an inspiration because, you know, we can look at what she's created and it inspires us to do things differently, but the way she engages with us inspires us as well. Mm. And then someone else who actually I was introduced to by a Roland Harwood, ah, who was... Yeah, previous who, podcast Absolutely. Guest, it's a very small world. <laughs> um, but again, Roland just saw something on LinkedIn that I posted and tagged in Shelley Coopers, who is actually based in Canada, co-founder of an organisation called The 51. And so she's on a journey in Canada, again, looking to balance the investment playing field. We had a first conversation with her a couple of weeks ago. 
and she was just brilliant. It was just one of those, let's just say it as it is. And within 10 minutes, we were like, right, when are we going to meet? Yeah. We volunteered to go out to Canada. Yeah, of course. For sure. <laughs> um, but again, it's just that empowering each other. Um, lifting each other up. When you meet them, it's sort of like finders keepers. I've got you. Yeah. Sarah right. describes right. it as being like a limpet. Like when she's found yes. someone, she's like not going anywhere. Right. Um, okay, Claire, have you got one or two? How many? I've got a group. Oh, oh okay. I've got a collective. Nicely done. I've love got it. A collective. <laughs> um, so I think it would be remiss if we didn't mm. say that we weren't inspired by the women that we work with. And mostly because we know it takes, as Sarah had said earlier, it takes courage to really show up and leave your armour at the door and not pretend you've got your shit together and you know all the answers already and Mm. that you've got it all worked out there is something very vulnerable and gritty and real about that and every time those women show up in our community and interact and help Mm. each other and support each other we find that just the most inspiring uplifting incredible experience it's goosebumps isn't it it is yeah um okay so where can people go to find out about your work and this brilliant community that are supporting each other So there are two things that we do. So we have our own learning hubs. So we have loads of incredibly designed e-learning content covering everything from GDPR to reframing self-limiting beliefs. And then we have our online community. So we are on Instagram. We are Radical, but Radical spelt R-A-D-I-K-L. So we are Radical on Instagram. We're both on LinkedIn and our website is weareradical.co.uk. And what I will do is on the Instagram post that accompanies this podcast, um, so just go to at amazingif, I will link the website I will obviously tag you guys so you can find and actually everyone that we've mentioned as well I'm going to tag them in as well because I think we should shine a little spotlight on those people doing brilliant work too Mm. I can't tag everyone in your community but I'll just (laughs) you know as a byproduct of of, of your profile yeah brilliant yeah (laughs) you'll be busy when you're really busy thank you so so much for sharing your insights and and for everything that you're doing as well I think it's inspiring really inspiring really important really important thanks so much for having us it was so fun it was really good fun I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah and Claire. I think the work they're doing with We Are Radical is brilliant. Now we're going to go on to my conversation with the social entrepreneur, Natalie Campbell. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I am Helen. I'm one half of the normal hosting team of the Squiggly Careers podcast. But today, I'm not joined by Sarah. Instead, I'm joined by Natalie Campbell. Hello, Natalie. Hi. Thanks uh, for having me. Thank you for being here. And 
Your two dogs. Yeah, my bubbers, uh, Buddy Bear and Mr Dudley, two Russian toy terriers that take up all of my time. I'm going to share a picture at the end <laughs> of the dogs because you need to go on Instagram at Amazing If and see them. They're very, very cute. And I think a Squiggly Careers podcast first. I don't think we've had a dog on the podcast before. Pioneer. Just call me a pioneer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we are actually talking about women in entrepreneurship where you are definitely a pioneer in that sense, but also a pioneer in bringing dogs on the podcast. Yeah. I don't know which one. It's going to be higher up there. Um, so let me uh, briefly introduce Natalie for you, but not because there's not lots to introduce, but because I really want to get into all of Natalie's wisdom on, on being a woman and entrepreneur. So Natalie is an award-winning social entrepreneur, a broadcaster, and also an author. Mm. Amazing list of things. Yeah. It's like the, the, the dream, the dream <laughs> mixture. Um, and Natalie and I first met at Virgin yeah. in 20. 14 maybe we were young people then. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. pre-dogs yeah pre-children yeah it, it feels like a world away it does yeah. i can't remember why we first chatted so i was at virgin as head of insight and you were working were you working with virgin unite yes on the entrepreneurship program i think i was just stalking people which is part of what you do as an entrepreneur you're like who's that interesting person i think we bumped into each other in the, in the lunch queue and we started sort of chatting away and you told me about what you were doing and yeah. your side hustles and yeah, grew from there. Um, and Natalie talked about her the business that she founded, which is called A Very Good Company. And I thought it was so interesting, the work that you were doing. And I think that's... And then since then, I've kind of sort of stalked Natalie from afar. Oh, admi- do you know what? Admired. That's a better, <laughs> a better word. Admired is a much better word. And you are a co-host, the broadcasting part of things, a number of things, but I guess at the moment, most significantly, Badass Radio. On t- yeah. So, uh, and again, that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. But Badass Women's Hour started off as an event, moved to a podcast, and then became um, a radio show on talk radio. So national broadcast every Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Very cool. Um, we've been on twice, I think, in yeah, different capacities. Yeah. So yeah, can't get rid of me, definitely. <laughs> uh, and in this podcast, we really wanted to dig into this topic of women in entrepreneurship. And there was some research that I came across. The Centre of Entrepreneurship and Barclays um, looked at some research that showed that businesses founded by women are more likely to scale sustainably because they work towards more controlled and profitable growth over the long term. They're less focused on exit, so kind of short-term returns in order to exit, and they prefer to reinvest their profits. And I just thought that was really interesting that sort of long-term success of businesses scaling sustainably, the research seems to indicate that female-founded businesses are more likely to succeed in that context. And as somebody that's, you know, founded a very good company and social entrepreneurship and all the things that you've done and businesses you've worked with... I wonder, is that your is that your experience, your perspective? Yeah, well, so my first business was was actually a Morgan clothing franchise. So Morgan was a '90s brand, Heart logo. Some of you listening might be like, "Oh my goodness, I, I had a Morgan that. bag." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that was my first business, and I funded that the traditional way. I went to a bank and got a loan, uh, and I got a loan through what's then called the Small Firms Loan Guarantee Scheme. So I came to money and money and business in a very different way. For me, it wasn't a struggle to get 100 grand to get that. And I did that at the age of 20. I opened the shop when I was 21 in my last year of university. Fast forwarding to a very good company. I started that with a colleague that I worked with, Hannah Carnell, and we bootstrapped it. Because it was a consultancy, realistically, it was just a case of us finding an office. That was when everything was cheap. We had offices in Shoreditch that cost us a few hundred quid a month. I imagine. I know, I know, right? Um, the glory days. Uh, and we bootstrapped. So with every client that we got, we brought on a team, we built our infrastructure. But what I would say is that 
I have met lots of female founders who have decided to grow organically and reinvest their own money or do a family and friends round versus going off for large scale investment. But equally, there are women that I'm meeting now that are like, you know what, I want to build a business that goes beyond me, that is a household name and a household brand, and therefore I'm going to take investment. So when we think about proper as in the corn company, mm. or we think about Resi run by Alex and Jules, like they're all going for investment. I think the difference is they're not telling everyone about it. They're not saying we've raised gazillions, Sharmadine Reed, you know, they're not saying they've raised gazillions. Whereas I think men spend a lot of time saying we've raised this much, which is why we know why we know they've raised X amount of money because they then tell everyone. Um, and it's interesting when you talk through your journey very quickly there about, you know, we raised the money, we raised £100,000 and that was relatively easy. And then we we started to scale a very good company and we brought people on. As somebody that is, you know, scaling a company now, I don't think I find those decisions so easy. I feel like every person that we hire comes to me with a sense of pressure and a sense of yeah. risk about how quickly I have to grow the business in order to sustain me and, you know, the people yeah. that I then employ when you talk about it, you talk about it very confidently, like that was actually quite an easy decision for you to make about securing additional investment and spending that on resourcing. Whereas I, as someone who's in the reality, there's risk and pressure. Did, did you feel the risk and pressure or was something else going on in Natalie Campbell's mind? I think it's a bit, a bit of both. Um, so how you respond to things goes connects back to your way of seeing the world. And so when I started Morgan, I didn't even think of it as raising money, it was just... I need a loan to set up a business and so you went to a bank. The word raise and investment, that wasn't the lexicon in um, 2005. So hiring staff, because I'd worked in retail, you can't run a retail store without part-time staff, without a manager. So hiring five people didn't feel like a huge undertaking. It was what I needed to do to run a store Mm -hmm. and to have a full work rotor. Uh, and that's because I'd worked for Morgan from the age of 16. So I just followed the model of what I knew. When it came to a very good company, Hannah and I decided from the very beginning that we wanted a different model to what other agencies offered. So we had a four-day work week. We had um, completely flexible working practices. And so we focused more around the organisation we wanted to create. Mm. And we didn't hire quickly. We hired slowly. But it didn't feel like a burden. I wasn't thinking about having to pay people's mortgages or the monthly overhead until three years in. And that's when it became too much for me. And I thought, actually, this model doesn't work because things are getting really expensive. And I changed the model and said to everyone, what's most important for me is that you know why you get out of bed in the morning. And so a very good company is going to be an organisation, a business that you can work for, but you'll need to work for yourself. Um, And we will still do all the things that make us a team, but you need to work for you, which means you can have other clients, you can do exactly Mm. what you want and I'll support you through that. But I cannot look at the P&L every month and be like, right, I need to find 10 grand, 20 grand to make payroll Mm. because it meant we'd need to do work with clients that we didn't like and work on projects we didn't believe in. And our values were always that we would never do that. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the values and the reason I started the company, which does go back to the research that you you had because I could have then gone for investment or tried to get backers and build out a board. But I didn't start the company to do that. I started the company to do meaningful, brilliant, values-led work. But it's not scaling for scaling's sake? It's, no. okay, that's we really... scaled our projects internally with our clients. Mm. So that was the other, the other switch. There was no point in me asking one of our brands to give us a 500,000 budget to do something that only we could do. 
if they then applied that budget internally and we could support their teams to then action that budget and put it actually into the places where it was needed, that was more important. Mm. So for us working with Marks and Spence, we worked with them for five years on global campaigns. That didn't mean, you know, we weren't making millions from it. Actually, mm. what we were taking was tiny, but they were applying more and more resourcing into the initiatives we were developing that sort of scale is more important. And we've reached hundreds of thousands of people through that campaign. It's interesting, isn't it, when you talk about potentially there might be a scenario where men are, you know, raising money and they'll talk about that and it's about the impression that it creates, whereas it sounds like in a very good company you are more focused on the impact. Always. And, and how you got to that impact didn't have to be through investment. Yeah, it was in working in partnership. Do you think that you would have done a very good company or been as effective in doing a very good company if you hadn't done Morgan? Did it teach you things? Oh my God, yes, yes. So yeah, anyone that's thinking about running a business, you'll, you won't get it right until business number three. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you, if you squiggly career it, if you've been an entrepreneur, which is, you know, you, mm-hmm. that's how I see, see you when we, we first met. If you've done it internally, it's for me, it's the same thing. Mm. You know, me setting up a Morgan, I was 20. So let's just, let's just say that's my first job, mm-hmm. let's say. Don't worry if it's not your first sort of pure, pure business. So I think there are lessons to be learned in every business about who you are as a leader, who you are as a manager of people, what you're willing to compromise on in terms of the values you bring to your business, your relationship with money. If you're scared of debt, I mean, good luck. So you need to have a really positive relationship with money. You need to be able to ask for what you're worth. What if your starting place is that you've not got a positive relationship with money, but you want to run your own business? You need to work on it. Because if you don't have a positive relationship with money, you will undersell yourself. You'll panic every time you invest in something. You'll panic in front of investors. And you'll never have a good night's sleep. Life is too short to not have a good night's sleep. Where do you think people can go to? Like, partly I'm asking for myself, actually. But um, if someone's saying, you know, I don't have the most responsible or great relationship with money, but mm. I do want to run my own business, and I want to, I want, I mean, fixing it is always mm. a tricky word, isn't it? I want to invest some time in responding to this need. Where do you think people can go? Is it about mentors? Are there sources of wisdom? So it's an, it's all of the things that you would do to develop a good relationship with wellness or fitness or food. It's working out the core of the issue. And so, to be clear, when... uh, So Morgan didn't work because the franchise owner, Morgan, went into administration, which meant we all had to close down. So I ended that business £50,000 in debt. When I was moving into my first job, I had £50,000 worth of debt, plus my student loan to pay off, plus all of my student debt. Yeah. So I was working three jobs just to pay that off. Now, if I didn't have a relationship with money, which was like, well, at least I did something useful... That would have crippled me. Yeah. Literally, I don't think I would have got got out of bed. And so you really need to go back to the core of who you are, why you want to do something, what the money did or what the money will do, and then work out what your risk is. So to put it in the context of fitness, some people say, you know, I just want abs. Okay, fine. Why do you want abs? How will you feel when you have the abs? It's all of those sort of mind process and I think everyone needs to go through that conversation with themselves about money and understand what is the point where it's too far what is the point where I will not sleep at night and if the point where you will not sleep at night is owing three people 10 million pounds and having an overhead bill of half a million every year then maybe that's not the approach you should take to growing your business Mm. but actually if you're like you know what 
money makes money, get on with it. But you need to understand that bit first mm. to make the rest of the journey so much easier. It's interesting, Sarah and I's perspective, because I guess the majority of our career has been spent in corporate jobs where we've had salaries. Yeah. And so as people moving from that very secure, I mean, as secure as you can be mm -hmm. when companies restructure make people redundant, but moving from that relatively secure context of a monthly pay to one where you run your own business and um you know you're thinking about suddenly i'm thinking about cash flow and if these companies don't pay then how do i pay us and i've got a mortgage and childcare. um it definitely i think we are very i wonder if you and i are on a slightly different scales because i think i'm very cautious financially and we have like a buffer that we like to have that we don't even hit that's quite a high buffer and we panic if it goes below it rather than and i just wonder whether our approach to risk, financial risk, maybe holds us back from scaling sometimes? I'm gonna be honest and say yes. Mm. Um, if you want to scale and you want to get to a level where, and it depends on what success and scaling means to you, right? Because mm. scale, could, you could reach a million people every month with everything that you're doing, with your podcast, with your content, and you could get messages from people saying, you've changed my life and because of what you said, I'm now doing X thing with my career or I'm living better. But you could be turning over, you know, just enough to pay the bills. Mm. It doesn't mean you're not successful. Mm. So if you're equating scale with financial mm. scale and growth, the mindset required for that is very different. And you're going to have to be willing to have a lot of months where there's no money in the bank because you're going to be using large chunks to propel yourself further, faster, in shorter periods of time, which is where I do think... And I don't want to generalize on this because I know lots of women that have this kind of faster make it happen relationship with money too. But I think that is slightly different because possibly you know, if the history of men in, in work, um, they have been, the, I'm quoting, the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And so managing finances, there's you know, possibly been a, a longer tenure for them doing it. But it's all learned behavior at the end of the day. Mm. You learn how to scale. You learn how to think your way through a relationship with money. But it goes back to why are you doing it in the first place? Why do you want the apps? I think that's really... Thank you for being so honest about the finances there. I think it's, it's, it's because I think it's a conversation that we need to have. I think your advice about really thinking about what does scale mean to you and what does success mean to you and sort of using that as your rudder mm -hmm. is really useful. For anyone that's listening and thinks, oh, I could do with a little bit more support on that. We did a podcast um, a while back with Heather McGregor, which was all... She'd written a book about financial advice for independent women. Mm -hmm. um, and I read the book and I interviewed Heather and I found that very, very useful because she's very practical in the book and very honest and also quite challenging about financial advice and what we should be accountable for and how it holds us back in work and life as women if, if we don't take that. So just quickly to add some personal context to, context to that. So I have a squiggly career. I go in and out of you work do. and running a business and doing both and board roles. And it's not, so I'm 36 now. I didn't get my act together around my money until 34. Mm. So I pretty much made it and spent it. On, on good things, on other people, on trying to make the world a better place. And I started a full-time job and officially stepped out of a very good company and I didn't have a pension. And so I put 30% of my salary into my pension. I spoke to a financial advisor, put 30% of my salary into my pension. I opened up a secondary pension. I opened up a, a LISA, so a, a sort of a lifetime savings account because I don't own a home. So again, I needed mm. to go on the journey of working out if I needed or wanted to own a home. Um, I had a, I have a fun fund. So instead of 
from a monthly salary thinking, I really want this thing or I want to go with the girls. I have a fund where once a quarter I can do whatever I want. I don't have to think about the impact on, on the monthly salary. And so it's take, I'm saying all of this, but it's taken me a long time to work out my own organisation mm-hmm. around money and mm-hmm. what I do with it and the long-term security. But the reality is, as an entrepreneur, I was never thinking about having a pension because I was thought, well, I don't see myself not working. I can't not work. Mm-hmm. I can't not put things out there. And so I'm not worried about not having money. I'm worried about not doing something that I love. Yeah, because I think as an entrepreneur's mindset, it's well, I can always make it. Always. I can find it. But actually, yes, again, back in the kind of corporate context, they make they make pensions and things quite easy for you. You know, they, they match fund you mm-hmm. and they, they set all that kind of stuff yeah. up and you get it's auto enrolled. It's amazing. And Inter- then life insurance. I mean, <laughs> it's, amazing. it's gorgeous. And then as an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, I should probably do that oh, after yeah. the corporation tax and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, so you mentioned Hannah um, mm. a few times. So business partner in setting up a very good company. To what extent did it become easier for you as an entrepreneur, as a female entrepreneur, having someone else to do it with? Yep. Uh, doing something with someone else is always easier, right? Two brains, one problem, you solve it together. And the journey that I went on with Hannah is that we worked together. We had this idea three months into doing it full time. She said she was pregnant. Fine. So then obviously went off on maternity leave. And three months after having her baby was like, I just can't do this and that's because I I didn't really understand the context of having kids my friends have been having kids since 16 I was like well you have a baby you strap them to your back and you keep going you keep (laughs) moving right but in your late 20s and early 30s it's a very different scenario so she just said she she couldn't do it which for me as someone as a a co-founder and you know building something together was was hard but I was lucky in that there were an amazing network of women around and this Hannah left Melanie Yap then joined and Melanie became my second co-founder and she's actually the one that then took a very good company over to Singapore and that's how we became a global agency because we then had the two offices and we were doing work for MS out there and she was building her own client roster and so having that person to bounce off having someone on in a different time zone which meant we almost operated in a 24-hour cycle because she'd start something hand it over to me when she was going to bed and I'd complete it mm-hmm. so that was great having someone to rant with and in a meeting do the side eyes with is 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 also great, but it requires compromise. Mm -hmm. And so in all of this, I've always had to compromise on pace or ambition or risk. And so I don't want to completely sugarcoat it because it's like a marriage. Mm. So you have to work at it. It's a relationship. You have to work at it every day. It's not to use, is it? It's it's you and someone else. Yeah. And and both those were women. Yes. And you're kind of, I guess, co-founder and then bringing someone else in. Yeah, I love the women. Um, Did you, was that intentional? Were you like, do you know what? I'm going to be able to work more closely. I'm going to feel going to be more empathy with a woman than a man or not was it just these are talented people that I want to run a business with it was never a consideration that they were women Mm. they were just people that I liked that I got on with and we had a values alignment and yeah I I have a show called badass women's hour Mm. but the reality is is that the consciousness of being a woman in business is only really a consciousness I would say of the last five years for you or in general environment Um, for for me for me I was just an entrepreneur that was hungry to be successful and to do all of the things that I wanted to do and I would then pull people around me that believe the same thing and they happen to be women Um, men too but majority women and I hosted quarterly dinners or monthly dinners 10 to quarterly dinners again just women 
not on purpose. It wasn't like, man, you're excluded. And then you realize that there's a similarity of experience that women have and the barriers and the biases that women have and women of color have is, and that's probably the reason why we all ended up in the same place mm-hmm. or running similar businesses or wanting to work together. And do you think as a woman, because you introduced the word bias there, as a woman and as a woman of color that you felt bias being an entrepreneur? No. That's great. So I didn't. Um, I, and, and, this, and this is where I, I kind of pause because I know there are people listening, in it, but no, because of the patriarchy. Let's go back. I went to the bank and got a hundred grand when I was 20. All of the stats say that I shouldn't have got that money, but I did. I opened a retail franchise. I have f- currently five board roles in organisations that people say, you know, diversity isn't, isn't visible. And so my propensity towards being an entrepreneur and not seeing barriers and believing that I belong around every single table I put myself around meant that I just propelled myself forward. What I am conscious of is that I have had to work three times, five times, ten times as hard as a male counterpart and someone who could probably achieve the same things as me by just doing one thing. Okay. And so the bias comes in in scenarios where, you know, you're in a room or in a networking thing and men just want to talk to men or they make an assumption that I'm not as senior as I am. And I never really say I'm Natalie Campbell, I do all of these things. I just say my name. And I'll leave it to you to work out who I am. And it might be that I'm chairing this whole thing, but I'll never tell you until we're sitting down and ready to go. And then you see people's jaws drop. So I think, yes, is it harder? Um, Because I'm a woman and I'm a woman of colour and I'm young and I've got tattoos on my neck and my hands. Probably. Did I really give a shit? No, (laughs) no. And you've got a huge amount, but in such a nice way of um, belief. Like you, you, I think any time that I talk to Natalie about either the belief in what you're doing or the belief in the impact that you can have or the belief in it's your right to do those things and have that choice and make that impact. Is that like innate to you or is any of it learnt or has anyone helped you to develop that belief? This has been a consistent conversation really um, as I move into my new job. It must be innate, right? Uh, I'm Jamaican. I, let's look at Usain Bolt. Let's look at reggae music. Jamaicans just think they're awesome. Um, <laughs> so I'm saying that, that, you know, there's something that's innate there. Uh, I come from a heavily male-skewed family. So I was raised uh, by my grandparents and then my granddad and my dad and uncles. I've got lots of amazing aunts, but only one aunt that's here. I've got six brothers. Wow. So if you don't speak up, if you don't keep it moving in a male household, you don't get very far. I love 90s hip hop, fell in love with it. All of the people that were doing well called themselves CEOs. Puff Daddy was a CEO, I wanted to be Puff Daddy. So there's the learnt behaviour of I want to be that person doing that thing. I read Branson books on the train up to uni, made notes. I read Saha Hashimi's Anyone Can Do It book to open Morgan and I used that as a blueprint. So yes, that was learnt. But that, every everything that I know and believe about myself and entrepreneurship is cemented by every experience I have in every single moment. And so it, it could easily be unpicked if I had lots of negative experiences going forward. But the things I want to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. I might have to work hard for them. I might bang my head against a brick wall for them. But they happen. Oh, I love that. The things that I want to happen happen because I make them happen. Yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. <laughs> so that's like they're going, I do, I do. 
So um, maybe for, uh, I am not Jamaican, I don't have six brothers, and I would imagine <laughs> that some people listening don't have that either. Um, if we're trying to create belief or instill belief in ourselves, you said one thing, you, like you speak up, mm-hmm. like you've learned yes. to speak up, yes. to have a voice in that household. Anything else that you think could help someone who hasn't had that sort of upbringing, that amazing upbringing, that where they could actually develop their own belief that could help them? You need to put yourself in as many scenarios as possible that make you uncomfortable. And you have to be uncomfortable, understand why you're uncomfortable, and then in that moment make a decision. Are you going to work through it, or is that something that's just too much? In some scenarios, it's just too much. I'm a natural introvert. There are some things I just cannot and will not do because it's just not worth my mental health. There are others where I'm like, no, I, I, I got this. I can do this. So that's the first thing. The second thing is having an amazing network of people around you. On any given day, in any given moment, if something happens and I'm like, I'm not quite sure about that, I can pick up the phone to the girls. Um, at the moment, I'm trying to buy, my, buy a house, so to my dad, <laughs> when I need someone to look after the pups, my mum, and just say, this is happening, help. And the help is there. The safety net comes in very quickly. Uh, which means that my risk appetite, my ability to do things is much higher because mm. my safety net is is there. This is all Maslow's hierarchy of things, of, of needs, right? It's all pretty basic. With the network, it's then how I feel within my own body. I look after my body. I get minimum eight hours sleep. I eat well. I like the red wine. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I treat myself well. I, I run. And so my body enables me to do all of these things and not have high levels of anxiety or all of the things that ultimately then slow you down or make something that might be just uncomfortable even harder. Mm. And so you really have to be a student of yourself and a student of the thing you're going into if you want to progress and get further. And some people just think, well, I'll just go from what I was like when I worked, which is I turn up and I was passionate and I did my stuff and and it all happens. No, you have to commit mind, body, heart, soul, spirit, everyone around you, the way you live yeah. to making it work. I'm definitely noticing that actually running Amazing If now full time rather than when it was a side project. It's made me realise that if I don't keep myself well, the work doesn't get done mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more important than it's ever been because of the impact it has on the people, the that what I'm relying on it to do for me in my life as well. So yeah, I'm becoming more, I like how you phrase it, kind of being a student of yourself. Yeah. It's lovely. There are some very quotable things in here. <laughs> I, I think I will listen and pull, uh, pull them all out. Um, so a final piece of advice then for somebody that's either specifically a woman who's thinking about maybe doing her own thing. Maybe she was where I was like in kind of corporate life thinking, I want to go do my own business. Or maybe they're in it at the moment and they're, I don't know, feeling a bit lost that they need, they need something. If you've got a piece of advice that you could share with with people listening to help them write down what it is you think you want to do with your life and then write down why you think you want to do that thing with your life and then write down if that was the only thing you could ever do for the rest of your life would you be happy and if there's uncertainty there or you don't know the answers then maybe the issue isn't the thing you think is the issue Some people conflate needing to change things at work with actually what's going on in their personal life. Some people conflate needing to move out of a career and move into running their own business, the fact that they're not progressing fast enough. And some people think entrepreneurship is a really cool thing and everyone just spends all all their time having coffee. That is so not true. It's definitely not true. Um, So I think you really need to be clear on the journey you're about to undertake. 
Nowadays, as a grown-up, I would say have a plan before you leap. Before I would say just go, just make it happen, follow your dreams. Have a plan, do your research, become a student of entrepreneurship in the same way that if you were practicing to go into a medical profession or become a, a nutritionist or become a coach, you'd go on a journey of doing the work. Do the work, read the books, go to the events, look up other people's businesses, read their strategies. You can go to company's house and look up the accounts for any company that you know that sort of business official name for. Look at how they make their money, how, you know, staff, all of that sort of stuff. Become a student of what you're going into. And then build a network of people around you that always say yes and, and this is great. If you have people around you that put any judgment on you or say it's not possible, they are not going to help you on your journey. Mm. And if you get all of those things in place, you're off to a brilliant start. I mean, I want to go and do it now. I think I need to write it down and think, what have I got sorted and what have I got still to go? I mean, there's a lot still to go. Um, Thank you so much for sharing so openly. Uh, I think years and years, what we have 16 years of entrepreneurial experience boiled down into the podcast for us. Really appreciate your time and can't wait to see what's happening with your new role starting in March, everybody. Um, So thanks very much for listening to the Squiggly Chris podcast as ever. If you've got any feedback about this episode or any other future episodes you'd like us to to talk about with Sarah and I, um, just get in touch with us at getintouchatamazingif.com or you can just drop us a message at Instagram where we're at amazingif. Thanks, everyone. Bye. So we're at the end of this episode today. I hope you found the topic really interesting and I hope if you want to start or even you're scaling your business, you've heard some things on this episode that can be really insightful and help you to take action. We'll be back with you tomorrow for our final episode of the series of podcasts we've been doing for International Women's Day. And tomorrow's episode is all about women who are changing the world. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.